0: Jesus, I admit to you how many times I see my own weakness, my own insufficiencies, my my lack, and I want to curse them, that I want to complain about them, that they make me feel afraid and insufficient, and I don't like feeling that way. But one thing that I see that is true in a relationship with you is that our weakness, our, our lack, our limitations are actually times and opportunities to come on our knees before you, to recognize our need for you, the all-sufficient one. That you're the God who went down into the lowest place and resurrected from the grave, and you promise that you do the same in each of our lives, that you've done the same thing in each life of those being baptized today that you've taken their old lives and you've given them a totally new life in you. And Lord, I pray for everybody in here who might be struggling um, with financial problems or anxiety or physical ailments, um, in some way just wrestling and struggling with the brokenness of this world and, and, and their own lack and weakness. I pray that you, Jesus, by the power of your spirit, might might come right into the middle of that. That you'd show us yet again that we can trust you. We can open our hands to you. You can come and transform. And oftentimes weakness is opportunity for you to display your power. So come, God. Speak right into those areas of need, pain, weakness. Encourage your people today as we set our eyes on you, the all-sufficient, everlasting King. In your holy name we pray and everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you, worship team. How's everybody doing? Man, I I hope, I hope uh, if you were on school break this last week that that was a phenomenal time. Um, that, that you had a great time to rest and recharge, hopefully, um, this past week. Um, thank you, sir. That's perfect. And it's great to be with you guys um, this morning, especially uh, right after this, right after I, I, I open God's Word, we get to baptize five people this morning. Can't say that enough. Yeah, so we are, we are pumped about what God's doing in their lives and the chance to celebrate that with them uh, here after this. But before we get into that, we're actually going to kick off um, the beginning of a new uh, sermon series. It's about eight weeks long called The Search for Meaning. The Search for Meaning. And our focus and our guide for this series is this really fascinating book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. Now, if you've read it before, you know there really isn't another book in the Bible quite like it. <laughs> right? Like it, It's part of an ancient wisdom literature sim, similar to Proverbs, but in many ways very different from Proverbs too. Um, the author, the guy who, who wrote it, refers to himself by this Hebrew name Kohelet, which we read translated in our Bibles as teacher, preacher, leader. Um, and, and if you look in the first verse, who is this Kohelet guy? Well, first, let me say two. Um, the, the Greek translation of Kohelet is Ecclesiastes, if you're wondering why it's named this in the first place. That's the Greek translation. But who is this teacher who's writing to us? Well, the first verse says he's the son of David, king in Jerusalem, which if you know your Bibles, you know your, your Bible stories, who does that sound like? King Solomon, right? But... Most serious Bible scholars today do not believe that Solomon is actually the author. And I, and I agree with them. As I understand it, the author is not trying to deceive us into thinking he's Solomon, but like an actor, he's taking on the part of Solomon for like two, three chapters because he's going to make a point with it. And I'll explain more about that next week. But as we dive in... I do want to prepare us before we open this book. Because this book functions a lot like an alarm clock in our lives. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with my alarm clock. Anybody else? Yes. Like, I don't, without it, I I wouldn't be able to get up and get going. Like, I'm a deep sleeper. And so... I, I'm, I, I, but I treasure that time I get first thing in the morning. I love to get up right before my kids do, go down, make my cup of coffee, open Scripture, pray. Like, that's where I get my head right before the day starts. And if I sleep in, like, I miss that, and the day isn't nearly as good. But as much as I appreciate my alarm clock, sometimes it doesn't always feel like my friend. You ever, you ever been in that place where you're in the middle of just a fantastic dream, and that thing goes right off? You didn't get to see the end of it. Like I, I'm on a dream. Like I'm on the best vacation of my life, and like the door is opening to see the next destination. Nah, nah, nah. I was like, yeah. I hate it when it wakes me up. Like I'm in this cozy false reality, and once it goes, man, I got to wake up and realize I'm not there, and I got to get out of my warm and cozy bed. And see, as we dive into Ecclesiastes. There will be times when it brings us into reality, and we're so thankful for it. And I've been studying this book for several months now. And one thing it's helped me to realize is what a gift life is, what a joy life can be. But at the same time, there are times when I read this book, and it it forces me to wake up from my cozy false realities that I don't want to leave. My cozy false reality is that I'm in control of my life, right? That that I can escape the limitations of my own humanity. And these things feel good to believe. (laughs) They, They feel really cozy to believe, but they are not reality, are they? And so there are times when Ecclesiastes asks these, what I call, alarm clock questions, which jar us at first to wake us up to what's true. Questions like, What do you really gain from all the toil on this earth? He he confronts us with what really has meaning, what has value in this life. And it guides us to look at reality in the face, which takes some courage, and then ask, well, what is the point of life on earth, or as he calls it, life under the sun? So with that little introduction, you guys ready to dive in? Some of you might not be sure, and that's okay. But we're going to do it anyway. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 is where we're going. And if you're looking for it in your own Bibles, it comes right after Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, or the blue Bibles in front of you is page 539. Now, before I read these first 11 verses, let me, let me just give a preface. These are certainly alarm clock kind of verses. And these are not like the, the jazzy, twinkly, nice alarms that I like to use. No, no, this is like meh, meh, meh. Like it, is, it is in your face a bit. So just telling you that on the front end, if, you, if you, you're looking at this and it's kind of shocking to you, don't hit snooze and push it away, okay? Lean in with me. We're going to unpack it together. And I promise you, there's hope in the end, okay? So you're like, what is this? All right, but let me, actually, let me pray and then we'll read So, God, I pray that your word uh, will will enter not just our minds, but our hearts today. God, that, that if there is something that we are living for, that you want to redirect, if there's something that we have given true meaning in our lives that you realize doesn't have eternal value, will you gently, by your Spirit, guide us and change us? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer in whom we trust. And everybody said, amen. amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. You guys ready? Here we go. The words of the teacher, again, this is Kohelet, teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is Meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing. The ear, it's fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there is something new? It was here already long before. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. (sighs) Welcome to church, everybody. (laughs) You know, the the first time I read this, I remember thinking, what is this guy's problem? (laughs) Like, did his wife just leave him? Did his dog just die? Like, 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 he's clearly having a bad day. And then I thought, why is this even in the Bible? Like, I open the Bible, I expect it to lift me up, encourage me, but I feel worse after reading this, don't you? Like, what kind of devotion is this? But before we just dismiss it all as Mr. Negative Ned or whatever you want to call him, like, what is he trying to say? What is this teacher, Kohelet's beginning point? And I'm going to try to condense it into one statement right here. Simply put, our hustle. For fulfillment and or a legacy in this world is like chasing the wind. First, it's important to recognize when you read Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is not looking at like heavenly or spiritual realities. He's looking at life right in front of us. He's not so much spending time talking about what happens after we die. He's just talking about what he calls life under the sun. And this phrase, under the sun, shows up nearly 30 times in this book. which, which that, That's his focus, right? Like, what's in front of us? So you look at books like Proverbs. This is probably an oversimplification, but Proverbs starts by looking at who God is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and then he looks at life. Like Ecclesiastes starts by looking at life. And, but trust me, in time, he moves to talking about who God is. And as he expounds on life under the sun, these first 11 verses, he speaks to what I see as two great pursuits that we as human beings chase to some degree or another, that of fulfillment and or a legacy. Two different things. Fulfillment is when we are experiencing complete satisfaction or content joy. You could say it's, it's, the, it's the pursuit of happiness, Right? Which, for many of us, like, that guides most of our decisions in life, does it not? It's a major driver force. And some people who are mostly fueled by that desire for fulfillment right now say, man, <laughs> their philosophy is you only live once, so do what you want. And if I got money, if I got resources, if I got talent, I'm going to use those things to have a great time. That's what it looks like to chase fulfillment. But, but there's another motivation that he's getting at here too, and that's of a legacy. And a legacy speaks to the permanent and positive impression we leave behind in this world. That for a lot of us, we're not as fueled by fulfillment, but maybe like you're willing to let go of fulfillment so that when you die, you know your life had value. You made a difference. That those who chase a legacy in this world live by the philosophy you only live once so live a life no one can forget and if i got money resources time i'm going to use these things to to invest in the future somehow to give up what i got right now in order to get something later and so as we look at fulfillment and legacy i'm curious just in your own mind which one do you relate with the most my, my, my guess is that all of us relate with both of them to some degree, but each of us probably pursue one more than the other. Are you the type who, who really focuses more on the present and getting something now that's that sense of satisfaction or happiness, but yet you're not so much thinking about the future? Or are you somebody who is consistently thinking about, what will people say on my funeral? <laughs> you know, what, what kind of legacy will I leave behind after I'm gone? And I find it funny because oftentimes the two different sides end up marrying each other. <laughs> that's that's that was free. You can hear. But, but but which one do you relate with personally? Like which one do you tend to go after more? But despite whatever motivates us the most, the alarm clock question comes. And he says What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? To put it another way, you toil, you anxiously hustle, you you, you strive in your own human strength, you work your fingers to the bone to get a sense of fulfillment or a legacy from this world. But when it's all over, the sands of time will have moved on, you will be long gone, and realistically, what gain will remain? I mean, can this world really give you fulfillment that lasts? Or 100, 200 years from now, will people really remember you? And it's that kind of jarring realization that, that leads him. To, it seems to go off in second in the second verse here, which says meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I've been walking around a church office this week, just saying life is meaningless. Life, life, life is meaningless. <laughs> But, but it's important that we understand what he means here. Because this word meaningless shows up about 33 times in this book. Which means understanding what he means by it is essential to understanding what he's saying as a whole. Let me say first, he's not saying that human life, yours and mine, have no meaning nor is he like that undergraduate philosophy student who goes to uh, you know, one semester of college and comes home and is like, everything's meaningless. It doesn't matter anymore. Like, that's not who he is either. Instead, and this, this helped me a ton to understand this, the original Hebrew word for meaningless is this word hebel. And we'll keep coming back to this. But hebel is probably better translated, at least in a way to help us understand, as vapor, smoke. Or breath. So if you want to think about it, he's saying, breath, breath. It's all breath. Everything is breath. Or smoke, smoke. It's all just smoke. He's saying that like a breath, our lives on this earth are not something that lasts long. It's not something we can grip, control, or make last forever. Or like This candle, for example, I can try to grasp for the smoke that comes off the top of this thing, but it's going to slip through my fingers every single time. And he's making the point of saying, you try to grip or look for these things in this world, you're going to find that it just keeps slipping through your fingers. And this is exactly the way it is for our hustle after lasting fulfillment in this world. He says, just like the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. He says, the eye never has enough. Get that verse up there. The eye never has enough, nor the ear its fill of hearing. You see that? In other words, he's saying, you can cook the best meal of your life, but tomorrow you're going to get hungry again after you eat that. Right? Like you can hear the best concert, go on the most exotic vacation. You can drink the best wine, but eventually, guess what? You're gonna want more. You can post on social media the best post of your life. It gets more likes and shares than anything else you've ever shared, but guess what? You better do it again tomorrow. You can, make, you can work out until your body looks like Rambos. You can work in your yard until it rivals the botanical gardens in Boston. But if you don't keep going at it, you end up with flabbing weeds. Right? Like, and when we realize this is the way the world works, and we're always trying to seek, seek some sort of fulfillment, that means we're always looking after something, trying to find the newest, the latest, the greatest food, workout, experience. And that thing might be great for a while. But eventually, like everything, you have diminishing returns. And so Ecclesiastes says, what has been will be again. (laughs) What has been done, that'll be done again. There's nothing really new. There's nothing really fully satisfying under the sun. And that chasing fulfillment in this world is about as elusive as trying to grab smoke or breath. But the same is true for those hustling after a legacy in this world. I think it's real cheery right here. He says, just like the sun rises, sets, and rises again, the wind blows to the south and the north and back again. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. And the bomb verse, I call it, verse 11, no one remembers the former generations And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Anyone depressed yet? Right? Like, but let's be honest. Do you remember your great grandparents' names? Maybe some of you. What about your great great grandparents? All of a sudden, that list starts getting smaller. Or I think one of the reasons why we as a society are so obsessed with celebrities is because we think, hey, man, if I could be a celebrity, if enough people could know my name, then perhaps my legacy can be timeless. But what actors and musicians can you name from 70 years ago? Maybe a few. What about 100 years ago? That list starts getting Smaller. And so we think, if only I could have my name engraved on the monuments of history, but the tides of time wear them down. Stories are forgotten, and the world moves on in pursuit of the next thing. Generations come and generations go. Man is like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. I mean, is that not wild to you guys? I mean, we could live a whole, full life. And no one will remember it in 100, 200 years. And so what do we do then? Like after Ecclesiastes has fully depressed us, like what do we do we do now? I'm so glad you're happy, Tim. Listen, if you don't want to face the reality of our short lives here on this earth, you could roll over and just go back to sleep. Right? If you want to hear this and just hit the snooze button, you can hit the snooze button by just, again, chasing after the next meal, the next vacation, the next experience, you know, hoping that eventually you know, he will be proved wrong and you'll find something that will be lasting. Or maybe we could just keep trying to escape the constraints of our own humanity. One day, maybe we'll catch our legacy. We'll leave something permanent behind. Or if you realize, ah, I think he's right, life is short. Life is elusive. Well, you can face reality. You can come out of dreamland. But many of us, it leads us to a sense of despair, doesn't it? Ah, Well, I guess I'll just eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Well, isn't that what Ecclesiastes is saying? Actually not. He, we're going to see the more we go through this book that he has a different way. But what other way can there be? When you're faced with this kind of reality of our short lives here on this earth, that the very things we want tend to keep being elusive. Like, what other reality do we have other than just to roll over and go back to sleep or live our lives in despair? Well, if our hustle for a legacy and fulfillment on earth is like chasing the wind, then creation, the world itself, must be pointing us to its creator for everlasting joy. And if we're not finding fulfillment in a sense of permanence under the sun, then what do we do? Perhaps it's all a sign we were never meant to find it under the sun. And if our search for lasting fulfillment on earth keeps slipping through our fingers, then it's clear that we were never meant to find it here. But that desire to chase the next new thing to fulfill us, that desire to try to live a life that can give us some sense of permanence on earth. Man, that's not new under the sun either. You know, like every human being has done this. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the very beginning, who had this whole garden right in front of them in Genesis chapter two. But in Genesis chapter three, they said, ah, I want the new thing. And they sought after the one thing they could not have. Why? Because they wanted to be their own eternal gods. And that is exactly when sin entered the world. Because what is sin? It is elevating the thing God created, the thing under the sun, over God himself. But because our hearts have looked to creation for lasting fulfillment, Paul said the creation was subjected to futility. See that first verse there, the second line there. Futility means he, God made it incapable of providing us lasting satisfaction. He didn't do that willingly, but with hope. That as we look into this world and we keep coming up empty on both, that we will see that it's meant to be found in him. And when we wake up from the futility to the futility of this world, that's when we can look up to see our God. And all this reminds me of a story in John 4. When Jesus struck up a conversation with this woman in the Samaritan village by this ancient well. This woman, like Ecclesiastes talked about, was weary. Weary. She was desperate to find some fulfillment in this world. For her, specifically in men. That Jesus knew that she had already had five husbands and the man she was currently living with was not hers. This is a picture of a woman just striving, aching, toiling for somebody to love her, for somebody to accept her. I'm sure like the the whole motivation of legacy, man, she'd let go of that long before because she was an outcast even in her own village. No one would remember her, so why not just live life seeking what she desperately craved? But she kept finding that nothing was new. No man could fulfill her. No food could fulfill her. No vacation could fulfill her. Nothing under the sun could fulfill her until God took on flesh to enter her world. And there was Jesus, who was God taken on flesh, the very radiance and glory of the one true invisible God sitting right in front of her. And this God in the flesh was entirely new, for there was never one like him before. And sitting right in front of her, he speak to her dry and desperate soul. He says, everyone who drinks of this water, you could say, everyone who tries to find satisfaction under this sun will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the new water That I give will never thirst. He's speaking right to her need for fulfillment. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And there he's speaking to her desire for permanence. You see that. And we see that her ache. Is that not the same ache of our souls too? And Jesus made himself known. God made himself knowable so that we could find it in him. And what is that water that he's referring to? Please don't miss this. That instead of trying to toil after lasting fulfillment like grabbing breath, which is what humanity has done since the beginning, Jesus invites us to receive the breath of his spirit because of his grace. And he told this woman, A time is coming. And now has now come, meaning because he's there, when the true worshipers, those who belong to God, will worship the Father in spirit, which can also be translated breath and in truth. What does that mean? That means that when we could not find lasting fulfillment or a sense of permanence on this earth, God made himself knowable under our Son. And even though our sinful hearts wanted, loved that which he created more than our creator, our God became a servant, even suffered death to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could not deny his love for us. And even when we've been endlessly hustling for fulfillment, he rose from a grave so that we might know new life is possible in him. He broke the power of sin over us so that all who believe in him might receive his new life. And so that all those, yes, all those chasing fulfillment or legacy, which is like grabbing breath, when we come to know him, instead he breathes his spirit upon our dry and thirsty souls. And to that woman at the well and to us, Jesus says, man, why do you keep chasing the wind? Why do you keep running after that water that will never really satisfy you when I've given you something that lasts? And if our hustle for a legacy and fulfillment on earth is like chasing the wind, then perhaps creation is pointing us to its creator for everlasting joy. You see... The opening words of Ecclesiastes may jar us at first, and it may come as a bit of a shock to get out of our cozy realities, but it does so so that we can open our eyes to the beautiful and the marvelous reality of what God has done for us. The Ecclesiastes, as I see it, is just setting us up so that we might understand the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. That if we weren't able to get a grip on on lasting fulfillment or eternity anymore, then I can grab at this smoke. Well, then maybe we were born for something else. And that's exactly why he was born into our world. Lived a sinless life under the sun. Suffered death for our sin. And he rose again that we might be forgiven and receive the life of God. Of His Spirit. And if you've done that, you know what that means for our lives now? Is that instead of constantly chasing after the love of another human being, you've already received a love that will never fade. Instead of chasing the winds of gain in this world, we first learn to breathe in, to receive His Spirit. Instead of fearing all the changes happening around us in our world, we learn to rest and a God who never changes. And instead of living for all the temporary things that do not matter and chasing all those things, we realize that when we give our lives to Christ and when we live for him, your life has ultimate meaning, eternal meaning that will never spoil or fade. Because in him, we find life's true meaning. And so I ask you, what is it for you Do you realize you've been chasing a lot of fulfillment in this world or do you realize you've been chasing a legacy? But what could it look like to come to him, receive what his spirit, which is already within us, and learn to rest in what he has done for us? Because once we do that, we've received something totally new. Not from under the sun, but from our God himself. And the beautiful thing is, for all these baptismal candidates who are about to come up right now, each of them have already begun a new life they've already received this gift of Christ and now they are, we are baptizing to celebrate what has already happened in their lives, that the Holy Spirit resides within them and we get to publicly celebrate that so that's exactly what we're about to do right now together so you pray with me and then we will invite everybody up God, we thank you that when we could not find you, you came to us. That when we kept coming up empty under the sun, you, the Son of God, came into our world. We thank you and praise you for the ways that you've been working in each of the lives of those we're about to celebrate right now. We thank you for the ways that they are learning to to receive you and walk with you, Jesus, and become like you. We thank you that we get an opportunity to grow with them, to encourage them, to celebrate what you're doing in their lives. And so, God, uh, we ask you to lead us by your Spirit. Teach us, not only today, but in the coming weeks, what it looks like, what it looks like to live life with your Spirit, to live a life that, that resonates into eternity. In your holy name we pray and everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. All right, with that said, David's taking his rightful place.